1: If his protection is gone and your enemies are near If you've seen the seas spill over And the mountains shake, break, and fall If the moon ever turns blood red And you can't see the sun at all Rise up, no matter if the prize hey, is and welcome to New Abolitionist Radio On the Black Talk Radio Network A program that seeks to educate, inform, and agitate On an issue of 21st century legalized slavery Hosted by so- social activists and spoken word poets Max X with Black Talk media project founder Scotty Reed. On this program, we discuss recent news on legalized 21st century slavery and human trafficking, along with projects and people who help combat it. Today is the August 9th, 2017 broadcast of NAR. We are a mere 10 days away from the Millions for Prisoners March on Washington, August 19th, the largest gathering of slavery abolitionists in U.S. history. On this day, in 1974, Disgraced, anti black, and racist President Richard Nixon left office having announced his resignation the day before. He stepped down from the presidency of the United States and was succeeded by Vice President Gerald R. Ford, a man who had never been a part of any election or campaign, an appointed president. Richard Nixon was the architect of the failed war on drugs, a war that was later admittedly created to target blacks and anti war activists. The Silent and Invisible Bomb. Today is the 72nd anniversary of the U.S. bombing of Nagasaki, an event historians universally agree was unnecessary, the last fury and firebomb. Also on this day in history, Mike Brown was fatally shot and killed in Ferguson, Missouri, Missouri, starting a firestorm that has yet to be extinguished, the Freedom Bomb. Tonight, our guest will be the mother of Tyree King, Malika Malayji, Malika is a new abolitionist, and it's important that her story be heard from her perspective. Much like the shooting of Tamir Rice in Cleveland, 13-year-old Tyree King was fatally shot by Columbus, Ohio police for allegedly having a BB gun and pointing it at officers. Witnesses report that Officer Brian Mason, having just fired three shots into King's slight pre-adolescent body, called him the stupid N-word. Witnesses also say Tyree never pulled a gun, fake or otherwise. He simply got up and ran after being accosted and was gunned down, saying, we got down, my friend got up and ran, and when he ran, the cops shot him. His account has not changed, In a comment the day after the shooting posted to Facebook from the account confirmed by the team... Uh, By the teens and the source Braxton insisted not only did the 13 year old never brandish the BB gun At the cop he never pulled it from his person At all and all those quotes are From an article by Claire Burnish article in the Free Thought Project Of course we'll cover as many current stories As we can and update you on the movement Our abolitionists in profile will be You that's right you The unsung abolitionist the real reason That this movement has any legs at all a rider of the 21st century underground railroad is Anthony Ray Hinton, who was exonerated and released from death row after two years. Uh, two years ago, Alabama lawmakers have not only refused to compensate him for the three decades he spent on death row for a crime he did not commit, but also passed legislation changing the appeals process in death penalty cases, so the innocent people like Mr. Hinton now face an even greater risk of being executed. In the segment for freedom's sake, a history of rebellion. We will be remembering the Creole case of 1841. The Creole case was the result of an American slave revolt in November 1841 on board the Creole, a ship involved in the United States coastwise slave trade. As a consequence of the revolt, 128 people won their freedom in the Bahamas, then a British possession. Because of the number of people eventually freed, the Creole Mutiny was the most successful slave revolt in U.S. history. Got a question or a comment, you can call us toll free at eight six six five one zero nine zero two five. You can also chat with us and others by logging in at uberconference.com slash network. Once again, I'm Max Parthas. What's happening, brother Scotty Reed?
0: Hey, what's up, Max? I'm um, just... Staying busy, man, trying to stay on some of these details and uh, take care of some of the minor stuff, but crucial stuff behind the scenes as we try to prepare for this trip to uh, D.C., so um, definitely still trying to work that out.
1: Yeah, man, it's only 10 days away. It's hard to believe, and I got to finish a speech tonight. Not mine. I wrote another speech for someone else, but I got to finish it tonight, and uh, I'm probably up half the night working it out and then trying to figure out what I'm going to say that uh, will, you know, galvanize and and move this whole thing forward and expose and, you know, got to figure it all out. It's intense. You know, I need to give uh, uh, some information to you, Scott. Our guest tonight is uh, literally being a rule breaker, (laughs) just like us. Uh, Malika is calling in against the advice of her attorneys. So uh, what we all need to do in order uh, to have this conversation is, not focus on any specifics, not talk about that particular case in any specific way, and maybe just have a conversation about the system itself and our feelings. Well, as let's do it
0: like this, citizens. Max. How about, well, I'm old hat at this, so I, I've dealt with these sort of cases before, so I know what questions to ask, not to ask, but I really don't have any questions. Uh, this happens all too often. I know what caused it slavery caused it. And, right, right and and slave <laughs> catchers did the killing, and this particular slave catcher uh, may have also been practicing a religion of white supremacy. So I mean I really don't need to a- ask any questions, but I thought that she wanted to come on and share her story. So I'm simply yeah. uh, content to sit back and hear this from her perspective. I don't I wouldn't have any any questions except for vague ones possibly.
1: Okay. Okay. I just wanted to make it clear because I'm going to try to make sure that uh, we protect her from any uh, undue harm and give her the opportunity to speak her mind on uh, whether it be that issue or any other. Uh, we need to hear her voice. She her life matters. You know, I, I've broken bread with her and. Uh, She's wearing my wife's jewelry. You know what I mean? Like, we we feel. I feel like this is family of mine, and to know her story is heartbreaking. And I want something to be done about it. I I want people to know about it in some way, shape, or form. This can't keep happening. Yeah, to our children. if uh,
0: If it's cool with you, we just won't take any phone calls and just let her tell her story for however long she need to tell her story. So I'll just let you handle it, Max. However you want to conduct the interview, it is your interview.
1: Well, as you said, brother, you're an old hat in this. So, you know, I'm I'm not the expert you are. Um, I'm I'm just concerned for her safety and well-being, as always, with any of our guests. In any case, man, you know, I found out today also that white nationalists from all over the Internet, right, are doing this thing called uh, Uniting the Right. And they're claiming it's supposed to be the largest uh, gathering of uh, racist white supremacists, basically, uh, ever seen, <clears throat> and, and I find I it very ironic that it's happening this Saturday, just one week before the abolitionist march on Washington.
0: Well, I haven't really spent any time, I'm be honest, reading that. I saw the headline, and one of the headlines came from a left leaning uh, website, and they were saying, You know, don't it's not really as big a deal as what they're trying to paint it out to yeah. be. But I mean, any kind of racism is a big deal, so obviously whoever wrote that headline uh isn't thinking correctly about the harmful impact of racism but in terms of the context what i think they were trying to say was it's probably not going to be a whole lot of people like just like uh in that little border town in north carolina right across from the virginia line i think that's charlottesville um yes charlottesville is that north carolina right Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, the northern part of Carolina, right across
1: the um,
0: the line with Virginia, it's known Klan territory. It's not even that big of an area. It's not really a whole lot of them, but they are allowed to exist. So if this was really to be the biggest meeting of terrorists, come together out in and open with their terrorist flags. I mean, when I see that Confederate flag, what's the difference between that and the ISIS flag? You know, and then you express in support for a, van- a so-called vanquished enemy of the United States, and that's the Confederate States of America. So you're already an insurrectionist off the gate. So, I mean, if we want to play law and order, shall we? As past presidents have said, you know, we're a nation of law and order, Well, if I was the CEO of USA Inc. and my name wasn't Donald Trump and I wasn't a racist and my father wasn't in the Klan and my father wasn't a racist either who kept black people out of his apartment building. But, um, you know, I would use the Patriot Act against this largest group ever of these domestic terrorists because we need, just like how we call slavery by its correct name. Let's call it these, these aren't hate crimes. These are acts of terrorism. Okay? Uh um there's a political connotation to this. What I mean, what is it all about? What is the what is the aim of this racism? Racism is just a tool. The tool to do what? To suppress American citizens because of their skin color, um, oppress them and deny them their full race as taxpaying do uh, um, citizens of this corporation? So again, there are laws on the books. Um, we had this conversation earlier. I think uh, Max on the page of SPLC, if I'm not mistaken. And this one guy, you know, that's where now I'm starting to remember. But that's where that one guy was saying when I told him, "Look, it's been people who put ISIS flag up on social media and express public support for ISIS." And they're getting arrested by the FBI in charge with promoting terrorism. And and he said that that particular story was a little more to it than that. Yeah, they probably sent an FBI informant there to say, well, yay, hey, I saw your post on Facebook. How would you like to strike back at the infidels or some sh- crap like that you know what I'm saying and get some sucker somebody most of those terrorism cases the FBI actually uh, approached these individuals and gave them an opportunity to participate so um, anyway but if I was the CEO of USA Inc these, these jokers would be gone now I wouldn't use a drone on them because that would be unprecedented you know a drone being used on american soil to shoot a missile at a park full of of uh terrorists practicing a religion of white supremacy that makes them especially dangerous because they're dedicated man they're this is a religion they're racist and they're proud and hey scotty yeah uh
1: i want to talk about the uh Southern Poverty Law Center, a little bit later in one of the stories that we have, but Malika's on the line. Okay, and great. She actually wants to talk about uh, something that we were just speaking on. So let me introduce yeah, her so, if you don't mind.
0: Yeah, so uh, let yeah. me just wrap that up, Max. Okay. So let me just wrap that up. All I'm saying is we have to look at this the same way we look at slavery. Mass incarceration, okay, use that term, but use it in the context of this is slavery. They're using like I heard Crystal last night. They're using mass incarceration to continue slavery. But slavery is what it is. And when it comes to these uh uh white supremacist people like that that's meeting at this park again, we have to call it terrorism. That's what it is. It, these aren't hate crimes and this isn't a demonstration of free speech this is terrorism, so let's call it what it is.
1: Indeed, Scotty, thank you for that. Uh, as a witness to these things firsthand, I know exactly what they are doing. With uh, that said, let me introduce our guest tonight. It's my sister Malika G out of Columbus, Ohio, who is um, a victim of circumstances here that we're dealing with every single day. And uh, I'd like to welcome you to New Abolitionist Radio. Thank you for your bravery, for breaking the rules and coming on anyway. And I uh, mm-hmm. Hopefully, we can make an impact here tonight. You said you had some comments regarding something that was being said, Malika?
2: Yes, um, do about the slavery thing. Um, he said it right, like it's terrorist, but I, I feel like it, it's also it's just another form of racism, as he already said, basically just with a different word attached to it, and it's modern day slavery but exactly with some uh with with some uh, if you watch i don't know if how many people have seen the 13th uh um uh what's the movie called the 13th uh, yes, i'm sorry 13th. i forgot uh, uh, so um some of them things that they were doing in that movie, they are doing to some of our young black men and women now. So it's just it's like it's just it's just just a different it's a different it's a different time and age, but we're going with the same thing going on. If you look at it,
1: indeed, indeed. Uh, thank you for your commentary on that. You know we have these uh issues with it's really two sided and it's a lot of indoctrination going on on one side you have our our children and our young men and women out here who are really scared for their lives. you know what I mean like when they run across police, they know that there's a chance that they might be killed that day just because the policeman is in their vicinity and no other reason um so that's a big problem and then on the other hand, <clears throat> you have these police who are enforcing some of the most ridiculous laws and uh Fulfilling quotas and they're so Afraid of anything black That it only takes them a second to decide That their life is in danger no matter who It is or whether you're in a Supermarket with a toy gun right off The shelf looking at it or You know in a park or anywhere It doesn't matter and it doesn't matter if it even Appears to be a weapon it could be A wallet so your keys uh, Your Mm -hmm. finger your cell phone Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter they're so scared They'll kill you instantly
2: and they're using the, uh, I'm noticing that they are all using the term, I was in fear of my life. But how are you in fear of your life? And you know the job that you're taking and the risk that's behind it. And you are fully covered. You have on a vest, a bulletproof vest. So how are you so much, if you're that much in fear of your life, why are you doing this job? Why are you, find another job.
1: Right. Imagine if a fireman said that. Oh, that fire's too hot. Right. I'm gonna fear my life. y'all gonna burn right I mean what does that? that doesn't make any sense? It's not what you're there for. A whole for. lot
2: of people be burnt
1: up, yeah, I mean you're there to put your life on the line <laughs> for the safety of the citizens like that's the whole reason, and you know, according if you listen to the narrative from the police and there's so many cops being killed, but that's not really the case. garbage men have more risk of being killed, but that's the power of
0: propaganda cops. max that's the power of propaganda. And but as a person who's actually spent time on a battlefield, a declared battlefield uh, or a uh, war zone, as the proper terminology is, I wasn't in that much fear. I mean, it's, it's like she said, you go into the job knowing the risk, and you can't do the job if you're scared. Um, are you going to be cautious? Are you going to be paying attention to everything that's going on around you? Are you are you going to have heightened awareness but when you say you scared then you have no business with that badge and gun thank you
1: right right at all yes um I, you know i would like to get your opinion on a few things so we could talk about general issues uh i believe pretty safely we're unaware of how uh Right now, our children have what we call a bounty on their head, and that's the exorbitant prices that are being paid in order to incarcerate teenagers all across the country. I believe out in Ohio, it's like uh, $200,000 a year, and we spoke about that when you and I met and watched that film together, as a matter of fact. I think that that causes the incentive for arrest. <laughs> like, you know, these facilities have to continually exist. And we keep reporting on stories where we find that anything from judges to probation officers to police to even just people who are working the ticket line behind the counter when you pay your fines and fees are knowingly involved in promoting these incentives. Um How do you feel about that? And what are your thoughts on that? Malika.
0: Yeah, she is unmuted. I, I don't know what happened to her audio
1: unless she muted herself. I, I would predict that her attorney's on the other line go, What are you yeah. doing?
0: So <laughs> I'm like, not mean, doing anything. It's basically, basically, cool. Well, Max, huh? I would like to hear the story though of what happened to her son. I mean she can uh, tell okay. that much I know. I mean, I'm sure she's told this story or we're over, you know, the um Hello. Yes.
1: Hello Melissa. Hello? Yes, we can hear you. Can you hear us?
2: Okay. Sorry about that. Sorry.
1: <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Was I correct? Was they on the other line?
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: Okay, we're going to be safe Tell him to call in uh, That way he can be here Or she can be here to monitor everything Or answer questions Right, or ask questions Because this program questions. is dedicated to Uncovering the issues involved around Modern day slavery and human trafficking And uh, we're trying to respect uh, The wishes of yourself and your attorneys To make sure that we don't talk about the wrong thing So have him call in He's welcome Well, I mean, are you able to share what
0: happened? Just the basics, even what was in the news report, because these these oh man, these tragic consequences of a system practicing slavery and using racism as a tool to enslave people. These cases happen too too often. So, are you able to give any generals? Because some of our listeners, we have a global audience, may not have heard your son's story, and they deserve to hear it. From from your perspective,
2: okay. Um, well, I can say I have my son's name is Tyree King. Um, he was 13 years old. Uh, shot three times by an officer by the name of Bryant Mason. Um, he officer said that my son was involved in a robbery, uh, and the man had they had got robbed for like ten dollars or something. And well, the officer reason for shooting my son was because he said he had pulled a BB, alleged that he pulled a BB gun out on him and pointed it at him. Well, I know my son and that's, uh, you know your child. You know what your kids will and will not do. And he knew better. Um, he never got in trouble. He was a good student. He did typical boy things, backer flips and, and basketball. He was very athletic he did all the all the sports, so i knew that was a lie and then when, when the paperwork came out um the report um it was showed that my son was shot in the back um once in the head two times in the back so um if he was pointing a gun at you why are all the shots in his back and then, um uh, the truth comes out that my son had no parts of the robbery. Um, he didn't have, he was nowhere in the vicinity, um, wrong place, wrong time. Yes. But he had no parts of it. Um, I believe that that was Brian Mason's intention, um, from the start was to kill my son because every shot was a kill shot. Now, um. My thing about that, um he's a thirteen year old kid that they were claiming was a grown man he looked nothing like a grown man. he's a whole child, and uh no facial hairs or nothing like that. You can tell he's a child um but back again to the um uh, protection of the police, you have on a bulletproof vest, let's just say uh that somebody was shooting at you with a BB gun if anybody not saying my son because he was not shooting. But a bulletproof, I'm saying my point is, what is a BB gun going to do to a bulletproof vest? Nothing. So why do you feel that you have the need or fear fear in your life that that you had to kill a child and not only this not only my son but there is other um black young men here in Columbus that have been gunned down by these officers um because they are once again I'm in fear of my life because they're walking up the street or they think that they fit the description and I heard you say because or they're they're reaching for their wallet or their phone and they're why are you why are you so scared and I don't understand this, and it's going across the world. It's just not here. And that's what's bothering me. Like, this has to stop. Our our young men are not their slaves trying to escape from the plantation. So, therefore, you don't need to do this job. They need to go somewhere else and find another occupation to do if you're so scared. But, um, back to my son, um, we will have our time um to um to go in court. I have already did the grand jury, and of course the officer got away with it um and that's bogus, but
1: and you even uh, like,
2: got go ahead Sorry. you
1: were saying that it was over ten dollars that didn't really ever happen in the way it was claimed. even that nine one one call shows that the guy was like, "It's no big deal, it's just ten dollars." And it didn't have anything to do with it It was just an accusation And it reminds me of the same thing with Eric Garner And they're still saying that he was illegally selling cigarettes When nobody ever found any cigarettes
2: on the man That never happened And that's what's crazy It's a whole bunch of lies behind it You know the police They're going to protect themselves And they're going to cover up themselves Um, Or try to anyway But I say God has the last say in this and, And justice will be served and either way, he's still gonna have to answer. I just wonder how he eats, how he sleeps, how he thinks, how he moves. I I just wonder a lot, a lot of stuff because you you have taken an innocent child and he hasn't he he hasn't even begun to live his life.
0: To me, on like the fear, that was
2: his dream.
0: To me, on the fear aspect, oh. they are the one that's creating the fear. And perhaps that's why, I don't know if they caught him yet, but perhaps that's why they are looking for that man they're looking for that pulled, he got pulled over by a cop and shot the cop in the face and killed him. Or that other man who was in a car accident, his car turned upside down and here come a cop and he shot that cop in the head. These, of course, are white males. Obviously, if they were black, you know, this will be, they will be on trial facing the death penalty. So I don't know the details Mm -hmm. of those cases, but what I'm saying is this fake propaganda about I'm in fear for my life, which is becoming a blanket excuse and legally a defense that's being acceptable is creating a paranoia. One that has always, well, I'm not going to call it a paranoia in terms of the black community, but historically historically, and in recent history, and it's ongoing trauma being inflicted by the police, so there's a real fear there. We have the reason to be afraid, but Americans in general, because they are averaging over at least a, a 1,000k in, in kills, and I mean that in the military since 1,000 kills a year. And it's happening to all Americans across the board, just, you know, black community more so than others. So if anybody has cause to be afraid, it is us. And it is the citizens of this country. And it's dangerous for them to even be putting out that kind of propaganda because now, you know, hey, if you'll shoot down a 10-year-old, a 12-year-old boy, what you might do to me? Well, I'm not going to give you that opportunity You know, they could be creating their mindset as well.
1: Yeah, it does create a cycle where people are just afraid for their lives on both ends and it ends up like the OK Corral out here. And who's profiting off this? Where, Where did these ideas come from? Who's pushing both sides to see the other as their mortal enemy, no matter how old or how armed or how anything? And then we start to see... The results of that come from places like uh, Southern Poverty Law Center with their list of, uh, that just recently came out, uh, the example would be um, an article called Return of the Violent Black Nationalists. And then they list all these black organizations that are not historically violent, are not responsible for violent acts, and they, they put them in the same category with mass murderers and, and, you know, building bombers and stuff like that. And then they have these... Uh, Teachers who will come—I guess "teachers" is the wrong word—but these experts who will come to police stations and uh, teach them how to conduct themselves in the face of danger—and they really make it seem like you know, at any minute they they could lose their lives. No matter who it is, a butterfly could get in your face. It might be armed. You should shoot it. See, and that's, that's a whole industry, though,
0: right there. People getting paid big money. They call consultants and, and what have you. But here's the thing, though. The rules of engagement or meaning whether you could shoot a civilian or not are very strict in a war zone, in an actual war zone. I mean, I've had other veterans like James, James, uh, I'm sure he's listening, JT, um, he mentioned the other day that, you know, on, even in a war, you just can't shoot civilians like that. Soldiers right now in Iraq just can't gun down a civilian like that, Okay. Now, you know, when you're talking about the CIA and drone attacks, that's a different story. But regular soldiers cannot shoot civilians down like that. They, they're under tougher rules and restrictions than what uh police are in the United States. That's a fact.
1: Malika, I would like to say that I know this must be hard to bring this up and and maybe your first opportunity, I'm not sure, where you got a chance to talk about it and uh I just want to know that we're here for you If you feel uncomfortable at all, just let us know At any point, okay? Um, Okay, thank you Indeed With with that being said uh, What else would you like to address regarding this, or anything you want to talk about The system in general I, I know as an abolitionist now You're seeing it as slavery, as modern day slavery And, you know, as we talked And as the film indicated That there seems to be an answer to this That being the 13th Amendment exception clause Which causes you know, this exploitation of what is literally uh, chattel slavery. If uh, you remember, uh, there was a 2009, the Kids for Cash uh, scandal came out in Pennsylvania where they were selling children to private prisons. And uh, we see these things so often now. And with that, in combination of the fear for their life cop on the run, it's like nobody's safe anywhere, not man, woman, or child. They will shoot you in the street right. if you're laying down with your hands on the ground and a mentally ill person next to you, and you're the one trying to calm down the mentally ill person. You remember that right. case. Huh?
2: So right.
1: what are your thoughts And, about and, and that's
2: what I, I feel. Uh, they need better training, and if they cannot um, pass this training, then they don't need to – First of all, they need to work in the county that they live in, uh, and, and then the ones that are going to be police officers, they should be put through a special type of training because being a police officer, um, I would imagine, comes along with it. You will have some, a lot of psychological problems because of the things that you see, things that you go through, things that you will have to do. Uh, out here in order to survive it and and you may run across crazy people so therefore they need proper training and especially dealing with mental illness people because they're mentally ill so if you're going out to a mental ill mentally ill person and and you're not calm and the first thing you got to do is grab your gun because you don't know the proper procedures to do, go about to calm this person down, and the only thing you know is to grab your gun and shoot them. You don't need to be working. You don't need to do this job because that's not protecting and it's sure not serving. So, um, I feel like it's the, the, the system is the, the the government. They're they're excuse my language that they are full of shit. They are. are it's just it's it's a bunch of crooks in there, and and they need. A whole, everybody just needs to be fired. That's not about the right thing. That's how I feel. Everybody that's not. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead.
1: I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go uh, continue.
2: You're, you're fine. I'm just saying that everybody that's not about, that's not going to uh, look at it from all sides of the fence, not just protect somebody because they have more money. Or uh, or we're not going or, or we're going to have more officers here because the crime or not even the crime, but because of the color, it doesn't necessarily have to do nothing with no crime because you can go out in upper Arlington versus um the inner city and and you will see more police officers in the inner city patrolling in in upper Arlington. But I guarantee you the same thing is going on in Upper Arlington that it is going on in the inner city. They just keep it hush, 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 hush. And, and, and they're not as quick to pull their weapons on the people in Upper Arlington versus the people in the inner city. Uh, black communities, should I say? Cause that's really what it is. And, and I feel that's wrong.
1: Absolutely. I remember a study was recently done uh, in regards to police mentalities and how uh, white people tend to see black children as much more mature and older than they actually are. So, you know, if they're up in a uh, middle class, bourbon, primarily white neighborhood and they see a 13 year old, freckle faced, red haired boy with a BB gun, he's not likely to get shot or even be appeared as a threat. <clears throat> but in our neighborhood, the same kids doing the same exact thing are viewed as a uh, deadly threat. In Ohio, just recently, uh, we, the case just concluded uh, Mass, last Can I ask year. you a question right quick? Yes.
0: What was that study done by who and for what to show white people view? Because I kind of, when I listen to you read that or, you know, quote that, That kind of sound like excuse-making for me, man. (laughs) Like it's giving them, because they're white, oh, they view these children uh, as being full-grown or something. Like, that's bunk, man. Now, you know... It is an excuse. It's it's bunk. These white folks I live around, they know what children look like because they play on the football field with them all the time. You know what I'm saying? They definitely have our (laughs) kids playing sports, and they out there with... They know the difference between men and
1: children. Oh, yeah, That study sounds kind of like a 7-year-old little girl Looks like versus a, a grown-ass man You know what I mean? It's, it's, it is an excuse, Scotty You're right But it, it also leads to the other thing Like I was saying, in Ohio They have this type of mentality Where an example, and we have reported on the story One policeman, among many others Jumped on the hood of a car of an unarmed couple Who had done nothing And emptied his gun into their windshield three times what kind of damn world do you live in? What state is that where a cop jumps on a car that is stationary and empties his gun into innocent people, man and woman, a couple? And then in the court case, gets, uh, doesn't get convicted because the judge says that they can't tell who actually fired the fatal shots. And he walks away scot-free. And right now in Atlanta, there's a mother who wants to know why her son was shot 76 times. Who shoots somebody 76 uh, uh, times? The case where I just mentioned was 144 shots. Who does that? This is not a war zone. We're not in Iraq. This is Ohio, Atlanta, New Jersey. Come on. Overkills, and that's what
2: they're doing, overkills. And that—that and that is uncalled uh, for. Like, we're not an animal. You're not trying to... I don't know. It, they need to bring in private investigators instead of the police investigating themselves? Because that's a problem. They're investigating themselves, and that's how they're getting off with it. Not too many cities have pri- or allow private investigators. Because I know Columbus, they deny us, and I feel that is that's wrong. And this, this, this. Why? My thing is, what is going through these people's mind? Why do you feel the need to have to shoot somebody 76 times? What in on earth did somebody do to you to make you have that type of anger to make you want to shoot them 76 times? Yes. Are you terrified? And then I feel like, and then, and then, and, then, and for real, they're really mad because if black people, we are very smart and intelligent, and that's what they are afraid of us taking over. And they know we can because we have the intelligence to But they they try to deny us of that still to this day. And then some of our black people fit right on, go along right in with this stereotype and just like, come on now, we can do this. If we all just come together and pull together We got
1: this, we can do it That actually was the promise of America That it didn't matter which your race Creed or color was You could lead this country Everybody was equal That was the promise And look what happened when we finally got somebody who was black in, the, in the office They acted like he was the antichrist They—they they uh, It was just ridiculous And he wasn't even an ally to black people He was an ally primarily to the white supremacist structure And they still hated his guts So where is this promise of America When we can't run nothing You're keeping us in positions like this And the poverty that we exist in Is often manufactured and maintained To the point where they have These things called million dollar blocks Uh, For instance in New York uh, They found out that most of the people Who are being incarcerated Are coming from very uh, small areas Where they generate uh, Through incarceration A million dollars a year Just from that block alone
0: well, I had a question. Um, would you say what you said before? Because, man, she kind of gave, like, the opening salvo for the new abolitionist movement <laughs> when we will meet for the millions for prisoners' human rights. She said, we got this if we come together. Oh, man. That's right. They, that's the opening salvo. I, I hope this, I, I hope that you could be there, but I know if you aren't able to join us in Washington, D.C. on August the 19th, that you'll be there with us in, in solidarity and spirit.
1: Yes. Yeah. If I remember correctly, you called me a few days ago, like, Max, I think it's, it's the ninth. <laughs> she was afraid yeah. that it was the ninth because she wants to be <laughs> there. Speaking like, no, it's the 19th. You got some time to get it together, man. And she, <laughs> it's right around the corner, but it's still the 19th. I'm hoping that you right. can come out with Sister Hannah X and everyone that's coming from the Ohio chapters for the million for prisoners march on Washington. I, I look forward to uh, spending some time with you again indeed.
2: Yes, yes, I was petty. Um and um, I'm also going through as a mass incarceration thing. Um personally see I have family members, cousins that um have gotten in trouble for the first time in or they they're doing life. Um, and I feel like they are doing that to make an example out of Black people, and to keep us down. So you tearing families apart, and uh, just messing it, the whole family situation thing up, and and keeping the Black men out of the families, uh, out their kids' life, and and mothers' life, and everything. Um, uh, and versus to uh, uh, it may be. Uh, Just for using an example, um, petty theft, 45 years, uh, versus a a sexual predator that will get three years and and, and, and nine months probation. Right. Right. (laughs) There is something totally wrong with that.
1: Something ain't right.
2: Right. The, it just the, like I said, the system is uh, is bullshit. It's bullshit. Like and it is so corrupt itself, and it doesn't make sense. And, and it is because it's money. They're trying the more people we get get, get in here, which is our black men, and, and the more money we're going to get. Then uh, and, and they don't even have to be the time that they're slapping them with or giving them. It's not even cause for. Not saying that they should just go scot free. You do the crime, you're going to have to do some time. True enough, but let it be reasonable and and within the means. Let it be be the right time. Like that's just retarded. I just don't get it. Like these. Oh Lord. Elijah, I almost, said I almost said something <laughs> wrong. Almost said something wrong.
1: Well, you know, you wouldn't be the first one to have these sentiments come out. Valerie Castile uh, really let her mind uh be known and i I admire her courage and yours as well for being willing to talk about these issues not just the specifics but the generals too because we're all together in on this you know what i mean like we don't know how interconnected all of this is and there's time involved like we're stealing people's futures we're stealing family structures as you mentioned we're destroying families and 30 years from now that has a major effect you know, you're taking away opportunities and futures by being judge, jury, and executioner over damn $10 issues or taillights right. being out or anything at all that puts our men, women, and children in contact with today's police. And we understand yeah. that on the other side of the fence, people view the police as their friends. They protect their neighborhood from unwanted crime and violence, which is usually pointed at us. And so they end up not patrolling those streets like they do ours, but coming to our communities and shopping. Like it's a shopping center where they're picking up bodies.
2: Right. (laughs) Like how many can we get today? How many casualties can we get today, Bob?
1: Right. And then we throw those lives away in these jails and prisons. And, you know, one of the terrible things about today's incarceration that any sentence is a possible death sentence, I was just talking to my son last night who spent 15 years in prison until about two months ago, and he said, "Dad, man, the way they got it now, you could just be you know laid on your parking tickets and got arrested for a warrant or something like that, and they'll put you in with people who got bodies, uh you know people who are just terrible people, they don't care anymore wow. and, and that is how it is, and we've seen the results of that over and over and over again now.
2: And that's not right either because they used to to my knowledge I, at least I, I've never been in prison but I thought they put murderers and, and rapists with bills like they had their sign and a little petty little stuff like that for a traffic ticket because that doesn't make sense why would you house and jail be with a murderer and i am in here for a traffic, t- traffic okay. ticket traffic ticket
1: over-incarceration is the biggest reason for that. Some places are as much as 200% capacity, like Alabama. I believe Ohio is cl- close to 140% capacity, and New Jersey. There was stories where they were housing inmates on the roof because they ran out of room. And in Wallace, wow. Texas, they had a prison built for 700 with 3,000 people in it living in tents outside. So <clears throat> basically, they have this thing where they believe that you build it they will come so they build these prisons they build them to overflowing and then guess what you got to do build another prison and he used that as economic development program so everybody gets jobs doing it and who's employed just look at the prosecutorial pool in the United States of America and when you see that it is 95 percent white with 83 percent white men who are prosecuting a majority of minorities You have to realize that that is a problem. It's ripe for institutional racism. It can't be allowed to go on like that. Would you let it happen to you? No. If that were 95% black prosecutors and 83% black men prosecutors, white people would be going out of their damn minds.
2: Right.
1: (laughs) Scotty, anything you want to add?
0: Um, No, Um, but I would like to ask, how did you come to become, call yourself, if you indeed do uh, call yourself a new abolitionist? Because you do seem to understand that slavery is still being practiced on us and that they lied when they said that slavery was abolished through the 13th Amendment when they stuck that exception clause in there and allowed them to lock people up through the criminal courts, moving it from the plantation to the prison. Um, So when did you come into that awareness that you um, saw the 13th Amendment as being um, a problem or just seeing all the things and connecting the dots and and saying that, you know, this is no different than uh, what has happened here before?
1: Malika? Malika?
2: Yes, I'm sorry. I didn't hear the
1: question. <laughs> what made My you become
2: phone a
3: phone modern phone. day?
1: What made you become a modern day abolitionist uh, uh, and be aware of the Thirteenth Amendment's exception clause, as well as putting the pieces together? Scotty, basically saying about how this leads to modern day slavery.
2: Um, I have. Well I, well, I have always wanted to do something um, of this nature and, and spokesperson, but I never knew how to go about it or the right people to talk to. I didn't even think that people that this was that there was uh that people would talk about it or there were or, or there were groups that or you know, um or people would have conversations about it. But when I really got in contact with people was after this happened to my son. And then I started seeing like, oh, it's really out here. There are people that really do care, and that are really trying to do something. But you would, you know, you don't hear about it, and and I find that odd too. So it's like we need to put it out there. But this is something that I always wanted. i uh, before this had even happened to my son, I always wanted to to be a spokesperson and and speak about things like this because of the things I've been through and witnessed and and, uh, just my thoughts like just trying to make the world better basically if you allow me to say uh, make it peaceful (laughs) if it could ever be
1: that's all we want Mm -hmm. that's all we want is peace I mean, we, we're tired of living in a war zone and the inequity and hunting us like we're cattle. We're just tired of it. We're supposed to be American citizens. Who's defending our rights to the Fourth Amendment? I mean, but Sixth that's
0: America. an oxymoron, Eighth Max. I mean, that's hmm? a word, Smith. Think about it, Max. Uh, how you going to have peace and slavery? See, we what, we hey. have this embedded image that slavery that happened on this continent because it happened globally, but happened here that that uh, so many black people identify Uh, with here is how can you, like they were just docile and they were just accepting and that's why I think it's important that Max brings those stories that he started including as a segment. You know, uh, what did you name it again, Max? History and Rebellion?
1: Uh, Oh yes, the the History of Rebellion.
0: So you can't have peace. You know, you can't have peace and slavery. I mean, it takes violence to to enact slavery to enforce slavery so that's not peaceful for you that wasn't peaceful for your son it's not peaceful for these communities and it's not peaceful for those who find themselves on a prison plantation so you can't have peace in in slavery coexist in a society according to you know i'm just trying to say that seemed logical to me that you those two can't coexist in a society
1: Right, right. And, you know, the prisons are not separate from society. I mean, there there is no separation other than the walls that they have around it. Those are still American citizens, primarily uh, still people who are valued. And we're tossing them away and forgetting about them like nothing. And we're shooting our own children in the street. Uh, I don't remember what abolitionists said. it. I think it might have been Frederick Douglass. But he basically said a man that will enslave his own children cannot be expected for magnanimity. I mean, you just can't. Expect anything out of somebody who would do that to their own kids. You don't even live in this community. You come to the community, you kill somebody, and then you defend your actions when it wasn't ever necessary. Ever wasn't, and you know it. There's this yeah. clause that you was talking about, Scotty, earlier, and I believe uh, Malika was mentioning it too, where you know if you run away, uh, apparently there's a law that tells police if you were trying to escape, they can shoot you. They can shoot at you in order to stop you. Uh, I think that law if, if anybody can remind me which one it is I remember reading about it about a year ago But apparently that's out there And it's in effect Maybe we can repeal that Like just because somebody's running not a, There's not a reason to be suddenly become their executioner Get a damn bike or something <laughs> I'm, I'm not trying to be funny I'm just saying You know what I mean yeah. Like, yeah. Is there anything yeah, that you're just... right? Yes go ahead I'm sorry
2: no, I was
1: just saying that it's true. So is there anything that you would like to say uh, in particular, um, and you can think carefully for a second if you want to, any way that we can help or anyone in who's listening right now can help? Because like you, um, I was an activist in this fight before my children got caught up in this system as well. So is there anything you would like to leave with our listening audience?
2: Um. uh, prayer.
1: We'll pray with you. Um,
2: That, that not only me get justice, but everyone else that is going through what I'm going through, every mother that is hurting, father is hurting. Um, Uh, just um, prayer. Like I don't know. Just prayer is to come together and let's take a stand. Like, cause we gotta come together. Cause black people, we don't. It's like it's like I feel like we're content it, with what's going on. Uh, some of us, not all of us. What with what's going on, not until it lands on your doorstep, or you know, basically, it happens to you, or or someone you know hits home. Uh, but other than that, it's like, oh well, I ain't going out there to do nothing. No, I'm not voting for this person. No, I ain't. But no, no, no. All uh, they, you know, black people. If you look at it, our our culture is the only ones that don't stick together and help each other out. So therefore, that it makes it seem like it's okay for to these, these officers to do what they want to do to us because we don't even stand with each other. We go against each other. And that sound, does not make sense.
1: You sound like Frederick Douglass like you're feeling right now I think you are channeling Frederick Douglass it, it,
2: just, it doesn't make I don't know how to uh, all the exact words I know what I want to say but the exact words to, to express because like I have so much anger hurt pain I have so many mixed emotions and and like, I'm cool. <laughs> um, but we just need to, if we could come together and, and put bridge about what the next person has, or if if her eyebrows look better than my eyebrows, or he got a dollar more than me, or or he got a better car than me. No, not more, but support their business. They might, they might, they might get uh, further than we get. Instead of oh, let's put our money together and we can buy this grocery. We can get this store right here. Get this grocery store. Have this car lot. <laughs> this our law firm. We're head of the government. Like, but like we we are making our own money. Like, who mm-hmm. No, but we wouldn't have uh, <laughs> just. It's just like we're slow or something and it, it has to put us up if we get to get everybody on one
1: court, it would be lovely. According to the incarcerated citizens, they tell us that this fight using the 13th Amendment is probably the best chance we've ever had to really take this system down by attacking the source. And I believe that too, which is why I'm so behind it. And you, when when you said earlier... I told you we're channeling Frederick Douglass. I was referring to his quote where he said the limits of tyrants are prescribed by the endurance of those whom they oppress. So as long as we keep letting them do it, they're going to do it. You know, We are considering authority, absolute truth, instead of truth, absolute authority. And uh, just finally, you know, you said we should pray. And uh, I've never done this here on New Abolitionist Radio, and I mean no offense to anybody who does not Uh, Follow a particular religion But I would like to just say a short prayer Is that okay with you? Hello Our Father who art in heaven Hallowed be thy name Thy kingdom come Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven Give us this day our daily bread And forgive us our trespasses As we forgive those who trespass against us And lead us not into temptation But deliver us from all evil
2: Amen.
1: Amen. Amen. I, I want to say thank you for spending time with us here tonight, Malika. I look forward to, as I said, spending more time with you at the August 19th Millions for Prisoners March on Washington event. And uh, your voice is necessary in this movement. And uh, thank you for everything you're doing. Appreciate being an abolitionist. I can't, you.
0: I can't wait to uh, meet you, sister and uh stay strong
1: I'll call you after the program thank you and god bless you okay there All right, we're going to take a commercial break, Scotty. It's 9 p.m. Uh, take our first commercial break, and when we come back on the other line, on the other side, we'll get into some of these stories. And Malika, you can hang on and feel free to chime in on any type of topic at any time during the program. Are uh, you listening to New Abolitionist Radio here on the Black Talk Radio Network? We'll be right back after this message. tuned in to the black talk
0: radio network for podcasts and live program scheduling visit us on the web at BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com dot
1: com peace and welcome back to new abolitionist radio uh we were here speaking with malika G whose son tyree king uh was fatally shot in columbus ohio thirteen year old child uh and her bravery is uh much appreciated to be here speaking with us today on this issue. And she is an abolitionist as well, which many of us should start really considering that position. You can't. You can't. You can't reform this. You can't reform it because it's not broken. It's a crime. And why would you be trying to reform crimes? We, that's why we're here now, because they tried to reform slavery. And it was called Reconstruction. And this is the results of that Reconstruction here today from the this-
0: Is it just me, or did Max go out? Yeah, Max, I, I, I'm not able to hear you. He went out. Yeah, okay. Hey, greetings, Otis. Okay, so listen. Um, while Max resolves his audio issues, um, Max, I'll just check uh, your uh, probably just a cable or something and came loose, but... I do want to give an update on the fundraiser for the abolitionist trip. Um, I just updated that page. I mistakenly deleted it, and I had to uh, just reconfigure it or actually build one for scratch. But We have raised $497 towards the goal of 1671 is the new estimate that we have now configuring in um, the deposit that we'll get back. Uh, for the PA system, which we desperately need uh, so that people like our our guest, Sister Malika, can be heard so they can tell their stories. But it's a great lineup of speakers. Of course, Max is one of them. And um, the Black Talk Media Project, I mean, I just feel like it's appropriate uh, that we be responsible for the sound system because we're into media. So we want to make sure that they have the right equipment to reach all the people that we expect to be there, so definitely uh, help us in that goal. That's actually the biggest um, item, but you can get an itemized list. Just go to blacktalkradionetwork.com, Com. New Abolitionist Radio. You'll see the picture of me and Max with the Capitol building in the background, and you can donate. We're also giving away, of course, a one-year uh, trial membership for a $24 donation to BTR community. Check that out um, as well. And, uh, or you can just give. Some people have given, said, I I, re- I don't want the uh, subscription, but hey, give it to somebody else who might want it, okay? So make a gift out of it. And, um, of course, you can always send checks and money orders made out to Black Talk Media Project, PO Box 65, mount holly north carolina two eight one two zero dash zero zero six five and so we have uh as has been stated actually we have eight days eight days uh to get these funds together and thank you to those who who have given uh just got some snail mail the other day and and we had another person um make a donation today so again that update is we are at four ninety seven of our goal of fifteen seventy one Uh, let's check back and see if we got Max, uh, working. Max, Hey Scotty, can you hear me? Yes, I hear you
1: now. I'm actually on my cell phone. My computer system, uh, is rebooting and I should be back on nice and clear. Okay. About five minutes in the meantime, I'm on the line with my phone.
0: Yeah. That's, this is live radio, live radio making it happen though. Go ahead, Max. Yeah. Things
1: happen, man. Things happen. You know, I was saying earlier that, uh, was there any stories that you want to cover in particular? Because I actually want to hear more of your perspective on a particular story that came out, and that was the article that talked about will the 13th Amendment have any effect? And I heard you on uh, BTR Radio speaking of, uh, I guess, the author of it in detail. I hadn't read the whole thing, and apparently you and Otis caught some stuff that was uh, pretty interesting. So yeah, I would love to hear your opinion on that. Yeah,
0: it wasn't so much from the author. It, the author put it together an uh, excellent article because he interviewed about maybe five or six different activists, and all I agree with all of the perspectives that was given by the various um, uh, activists that were quoted in that uh, uh, article that was on TruthOut. dot org and. It was just that last section. When you get to that last section, it was two activists. They was kind of agreeing with each other. And the logic was, is, okay, if the, you do remove the exception clause from the 13th Amendment, and it does cause some people to get out, then if we don't have no jobs for them or no place for them to stay and they living on the fringes of, of society, then we might as well lead them in slavery. That's basically what this article says. I mean, his quote boils down to, and he said he'd rather you put your energy into a more tangible, quote-unquote, more tangible goals, your political energy. And he was talking about addressing the symptoms like we were just talking about to the sister tonight, Sister Malika tonight. What happened to her son killed by a slave catcher? that's a symptom of slavery so and then this activist is described cisco torres as a political prisoner and so i really don't know that much about him anybody that's been uh, enslaved if it's certainly entitled to their opinion but then sometimes opinions can be funded and i'm not saying that about anybody i'm saying that about everybody i'm just saying think critically and the things that is he's quoted as saying in that article man i would expect i would expect you know somebody that's trying to undermine a movement to say something like that but it still boils down to the simple logic is if we even go back to the start of the civil war and those abolitionists that were soldiers and they was like you know what we really ain't got no jobs for these. Because, I mean, there was a lot of homeless people right after the Civil War from victims of slavery, and they didn't get 40 acres in the mule. Many of them died. Many of them was preyed upon, just like now, and put into slavery. Did Read people. You have access to technology. The Internet is it, one of the nicknames. is the information highway. You can check various sources. So, I, you know, I'm giving you real history here. And so it's a repeat. But think if those abolitionists with rifles in hand taking down Johnny Reb, you know, and the white practicing the religion of white supremacy, so he can enslave Africans, and you said, you know what? It's not even worth me doing it, cause I ain't got no job for those enslaved Africans. So we might well just let them stay on in plantation slavery, because you know they're gonna be living on the fringes of society once we abolish slavery. I mean i don't know if this man again I, just, I never met him so sometimes when you meet somebody you can and especially political prisoners how they're abused in prison and what have you but not to say this is the case because brother robert king uh one of the angola three um very lucid and he's an elder very lucid about and he says he has his bad days and good days but he just wasn't making logical sense. And I don't know what kind of uh, suf- uh, physical uh, suffering he endured while he was a victim as a political prisoner. So, but I'll just leave it at his his statement. Just didn't make much sense to me. You know, let's not end slavery till we can give everybody a $15 an hour
1: job. Wow. Yeah, I'm not understanding that at all. You know, in my mind, I'm thinking of how do we rebuild after this, because this is going to be a destructive process that we're going through. It's so embedded in all of our systems. But there we're are talking 501... About
0: really- I'm sorry, man. there are 501c3 abolitionists out there, like Crystal Roundtree with the uh I Am we, Prison Advocacy Network, and many other organizations that's probably going to be represented in Washington, D.C. on August the 19th, who that's part of what they do is help former victims of modern-day slavery find jobs get employment get education you know we've talked to people struggling in this situation on this network your son one of them and, and reporting on the challenges that, that they face so we have people working on that already to get them jobs but that's still no excuse not to end slavery let's end slavery that, I
1: mean is that simple for us yes absolutely it is I suspect though from those whose livelihoods depend on the number of people in cages and behind bars or under supervision that they may see it differently. Um, They're going to look at it like we're taking their, they are looking at it, we read it all the time. The the perspective is we're taking their jobs, we're taking their economy away, we're destroying the structure. Of everything that they've built up and at the same time we're allowing violent criminals to run free like ferries with machines well
0: turn those sales into classrooms that's what you could do that's what you do with the empty uh, uh real estate you know to use the industry terminology of the private prison enslavers but you turn that into classrooms turn it into affordable housing you don't have to keep locking up people so that's what you do with those resources we do have a caller Otis uh, wants to chime in from uh, the the um, man <laughs> the confederate state of Virginia Otis you're on deck sir
1: peace Otis welcome back
0: okay he he muted himself again uh, but yeah Max I don't have any other stories biggest story to me is the one that's happening in 10 days in Washington D.C. across the street in the park from that white house that victims of slavery built Otis did you want to chime in you keep unmuting go ahead bro don't be shy Uh,
1: I guess that he's having some home or connection problems maybe
3: yeah
1: oh there he is I heard it. yeah
0: Well, let's jump to your first story.
1: Okay. Uh, The first story I want to get out of the way is in regards to uh, something that we've been reporting on from day one, and that is what happened in Florida, uh, where the brother was boiled to death by prison guards. And we've had George Malincroft on the program several times, who literally wrote the book about how to get away with murder in regards to this case itself. And apparently the newest update is that they have released the autopsy uh photos. And there's no denying what they did to this man. I mean, it's, it's gruesome to look at. Can you imagine it occurring to you? And remember all of these people, uh, nobody was ever prosecuted for nothing. This was a gentleman who was incarcerated for, I believe, two years behind cocaine possession. And uh, two years behind cocaine possession and he was uh, reportedly mentally uh, ill and had a much younger uh, IQ or a much younger mentality than his age and uh, he did something to piss off these prison guards and they threw him in a shower locked him in there put it on full blast and boiled him to death and reports say that the guards then made the prisoners come and clean up the mess and uh, George Malacroft was there during the time, and he ended up losing his job because of, I believe he was uh, there. What was his position, Scotty? Uh, psychotherapist working within the prison in Florida, I believe. Yeah. And uh, he tried to expose what was going on, and uh, yes, he lost his wars. job, and was banned from the prisons, too. Yeah,
0: Sight War, might, you know, to just make it simple for everybody to understand, Sight War, mental
1: health, right. let's call it mental health. Well, I'll read some of this that comes from Filming Cops, and it says in June 2012, Florida inmate Darren Rainey died at Dade Correctional Institution inside of a makeshift shower that inmates allege had been modified by guards to punish those who were uncooperative. Think about that. They modified the shower as a torture device. Rainey was locked in the shower for about two hours under what has been alleged to be scalding water. Rainey's body looked like a boiled lobster when it was removed from the shower, inmates claim. But in March, Miami-Dade Miami Miami Dade State Attorney Catherine Fernandez Rundle issued a report that cleared guards of any wrongdoing in Rainey's death. Rundle called Rainey's death an accident, resulting from a combination of his schizophrenia, heart disease, and being com- confined in the shower room. The report, which cited the findings of Miami-Dade medical examiner Dr. Emma Liu's official autopsy on Rainey, also said that there was no evidence that the shower was too hot and that burns had not been found on Rainey's body. Official documents reviewed by HuffPost earlier this year indicate that some information from police, prison, and emergency services was not included in the prosecutor's final report, raising questions about the circumstances surrounding Rainey's death as well as the veracity of the Rundle report. HuffPost has since obtained copies of 20 photographs that contain official, uh, that, that county officials took just hours after Rainey died. They were provided to HuffPost by a source close to the investigation who asked not to be identified out of fear of repercussions. Some of the autopsy photos have been published and referenced in the stories by the Miami Herald, Julie Brown, Who has followed this case for years And I'm looking at one of them right now And for them to say That this was not because of the shower is like how could you even say that This is absolute cover up If that's your point it's an absolute cover up And the the most horrible thing Is that the men who are still there Are still under the control Of those very same guards They're walking around like I just killed somebody What you gonna do about it you next Scotty yeah,
0: Max, and as you were talking about, um, Mr. Mallinckrodt has been a guest on this show, and I'm thinking about that. You got a TV series, How to Get Away with Murder, and you got people getting getting away with murder in real life, but we have millions of fans of you know this fictitious show, and they don't seem to be concerned about these quote-unquote unsolved murders that's happening in Florida, is they had to come out with a website. So many prisoners are dying. And you just imagine, you got a family member in prison, a brother, a son, a daughter. And you go to the prison for visitation, and nobody knows. seems to know where they were. And then there's so many of them that didn't the Department of Corrections in Florida have to come out
1: with a website for
0: inmate deaths?
1: Yes, because there were so many deaths occurring behind bars this is, where I this believe is going like 400 on 400 nearly that they had to put a website up for people to be able to find their loved ones that they didn't know were dead. And to uh, show, you know, how many people have been killed in there.
0: So that's what I was thinking about, but I was also thinking about that top five programs over the five years that we've been on air. Oh man, George Mallinckrodt, that interview with him and he's been on more than once. But that's gotta be you you mentioned him Nakemi levy pounds uh did mm-hmm. we have Dr vernelia Randall we uh yeah so man, we gotta get that together and throw that in there for the fundraiser because uh, we were gonna offer that as a a gift too uh for the twenty four dollar donation so you had your choice of b t r community or uh uh c d audio c d with those five, uh, t- uh you know, we could we don't want to put it rate them all, but what we feel like maybe the best shows over the five years, or let's just say the show of the year for
1: each year. Yeah, and it is difficult to determine that because you know we've been on for some quite some time. We've had some powerful broadcast game-changing evidence, witness testimony that you could convict a ham sandwich in court. In evidence, I mean, like we really have if they ever have the Nuremberg-like trials here in the United States of America, New Abolitionist Radio's archives should be admitted as evidence. (laughs) That's how I feel about it. You know? Like, we really have pulled a lot of information Well, actually,
0: there is legal precedence for that, Max. Um, I found out in North Carolina when uh, Reverend Barber, who is the leader of the North Carolina chapter, uh, or state chapter of the NAACP, where they filed a federal I guess complaint based on news reports and journalistic um you know uh, investigations and and different stories, and that is enough, apparently to meet a legal standard to file a complaint and new abolitionist radio under the Black Talk Radio network umbrella is part of the media. We are the media, we are media we're non-profit media we're not getting paid like the propagandists but we are a media source and a credible one at that
1: Amen brother there's a lot of stories on our list Scotty I think we're only going to have room for maybe one or two more and then we'll have to do our segments I would like to take a moment as well during that period to talk about the primary objectives for the Million Prisoners Human Rights March on August 19th there's Um, no better
0: time than the present
1: Alright well, uh, well actually let me tell this story first Because it's kind of a segue This is the one more story I want, that I want to share and Maybe you have another But this is kind of a segue And this story comes out of The Guardian And they're talking about what's happening In Portland, Oregon Where prisoners are being made To go and Clean up and uh, Dispossess the homeless In areas for One dollar a day And you know, normally this is the type of job that would be getting sixteen dollars an hour. The the horrible part is some of these people came from these homeless camps. Some of them are going back to these homeless camps, and you know, you're making these people go and destroy homes of others just like them, where, where they may end up. In any case, the article says in many places in the U.S., the front job of clearing out homeless encampment is given to professionals. In San Francisco. Los Angeles and New York, for example, the job often falls to city employees in public works or sanitation departments who might get paid upwards of $16 an hour. But in Portland, which prides itself on being a paragon of progressive politics, inmates at the county jail get a dollar a day, enough to buy a Butterfinger at the commissary to do the work. Some of the inmates sifting through or dismantling homeless dwellings were previously homeless themselves. Making for a bizarre merry-go-round. The job can make it feel as if their worlds are colliding. Jeff Nelson was homeless for 13 years and an inmate uh, on an inmate work crew for six months. He remembers dealing with a well-tended tent in Portland's Hollywood neighborhood, like one he might have lived in himself. You look in there, he said, and the bed was all made and family pictures, and that was somebody's home, he said. And they made us take that down and throw it in the effing trash. And it's like, what are you doing? He added, it's straight-up bullshit. That's the way the system rolls, and we have no choice but to roll with the system. That system was on full display one recent morning. Two homeless women with cigarettes in their hands watched as an armored truck with flashing lights pulled up to their campsite. Sheriff deputy let out five jail inmates in orange jumpsuits, grabbed trash, picking tools and plastic bags. I don't think it's right, said Amber 25. They don't know if the inmate is going to have to see their partner, their mom, or someone they know. Her friend, Heather, said she recently said a work crew member within whom she had been intimate when he was homeless. He was across the street cleaning my campsite, she said. The sight made her despair. I told him that I loved him, she said. I'll stop reading it there, uh, but I'll just point out one more thing where they said that the city of Portland pays a contractor Pacific Patrol Services $117,557 a year to clear homeless camps, some of which is done in conjunction with teams of inmates from the county jail. Somebody's making a fortune on this. There's always somebody exploiting someone else's suffering. It's slavery. And to think of how you feel. It's
0: It's slavery, Max those are commodities they're not just busting up homeless camps they're arresting them too and putting them through the system so some of them may only be in there for two or three days some may do a year some may be framed with something or or do something that may warrant you know some more time but it's still slavery
1: is the root cause of it the way I see it yes yes it absolutely is um but it's just again, you know, I I just feel for them when they're doing this. Like you might have stayed in that as a homeless person, knowing that they're criminalizing in every way, shape, or form. And with our homeless population approaching what is like seven million, six million in this country, and the highest child poverty rate in the industrialized world, um, there's going to be a lot of them out there. And organizations or private prisons like the GEO Group or CCA have found ways to exploit them. So have local Uh, jails and prisons we fought that here in Columbia South Carolina and they ended up creating a whole court behind it (laughs) a homeless court so yeah I wanted to get that story out there I just thought it was terrible and petty it's freaking petty like how would you do that how could you do that to somebody I guess it's like the guards that cleaned up the skin after uh, Darren Rainey had been murdered All right, Scotty well, I said we want to talk about those prim- pre- the primary issues that are being presented at the Millions of Prisoners Human Rights March on D.C. The first is the exception clause. We want that exception clause taken out. And I know people think that that's a humongous task, and it's very possible that it could be through a uh, constitutional convention. You have to call all of these different people together who have to agree to make it happen. And it could take years Uh, sifting through all the potential amendments that people might start sending in just because the opportunity to open it up exists Um, and we've also talked Scotty here on this program and warned people about the current movement counter to our own which is already in the process of building what's called a convention of states to open up the constitution for reinterpretation I believe that uh, uh, billionaires like the Koch brothers are backing this from what the information that's been uh, shown so far.
0: Matt, and, I would uh, like to sources, point out the sources.
1: Yes? I would like to point out that the United
0: States federal government, Congress, Senate, all of that good stuff, Trump administration, just slapped sanctions, froze the bank accounts um, of Venezuelan, Venezuelan leaders and former officials and for doing the very thing you just said, the Koch brothers and others, is doing in the United States for wanting to hold a convention to amend their constitution. And this is the United States is uh, what's
1: really going on.
0: I just want to-
1: Yeah, I had to speak and research this in detail when I did the interview with Eddie Conway on the Real News Network and we warned people uh, months ago about this happening, Scotty. And, uh, you know, at the point that when we warned them, they had Well on, more than a third of the states already signed on, including my state, South Carolina, uh, to a convention of states. And we got billionaires who are literally about to rewrite our Constitution. So ready or not, the Constitution is going to be open for interpretation, whether we move towards it with a constitutional, uh, congressional convention or constitutional convention, or if the convention of states moves forward one way or another it's going to happen, and we need to get ready for this. It's a must-have. We can't have slavery in our Constitution. You can't have it where it says there's an exception. How can you have an exception for slavery? It's either abolished or not, and that really is the heart of our problems right here. Don't tell me lawyers won't exploit exploit loopholes. I mean, who who's going to believe that? And that's exactly what's been going on since convict leasings in 1866. People like Nixon who is an anniversary today of him walking out and putting the appointed president in charge, uh, started this ball rolling, so to speak, where now we have a mountain of prisoners, the largest in human history on planet earth right here in the United States of America. That has to happen. So there's no such thing as impossible or not going to happen It's going to happen. We need to get prepared for it one way or another. And the second issue, Scotty, is that we want congressional hearings on the 13th Amendment and the effects that it has had on the United States of America since its inception. We want to know who's behind it, where the money came from, who's profiting off it right now, the crimes that have been committed through this exception clause. We want all the private industries that are raking in billions and billions of dollars put on display so people can know how they're doing it. Are you selling through an uh, No-bid contract with the United States government Are you uh, selling them rotten food With maggots in it And feeding prisoners because the FDA Is not uh, supervising anything you do Yes, you are uh, In Alabama, they have uh, Companies that are doing that, for example As well as other places uh, Are you running a uh, Vehicle uh, uh, There was congressional hearings On this one recently Where they found out That the transport companies That were taking the prisoners to and fro Across the country Were literally getting prisoners killed and raped While in transport Some were even going missing The body count was pretty damn high And there was congressional testimony on it Uh, If you're involved in that You need to be brought to light These horrors need to be seen Why are you doing this? How How much money are you making? Who are you killing and destroying? And what lives are being ruined Behind your quest for profit? So these things are necessary For the world to be aware of And to see it as we see it No more hiding it in the dark I think those two things are, are, Are incredibly important And not only do they have the potential To change the system as we know it here In the United States of America today But it also gives hopes to other countries Who are going through the exact same thing And don't have a constitution to fall back on That protects them from slavery Scotty?
0: I can't wait to August the 19th, so I'm going to keep saying that, and I hope that more people than expected. I hope to see a sea of people. I hope it's like when Forrest Gump was up there on the stage and somebody uh, uh, cut off his mic, but that's what I'm hoping to see, a sea of people like when we saw uh, MLK, uh, the first, what was it, uh, March on Washington, D.C., that started as a grassroots effort. It did get... Hijacked by some big five o one c threes and some liberals spent some money and and you know um not critiquing any of the people who participated in that. But I hope to see a similar response to slavery as we saw a response to people realizing that, hey, it's not right for me to pay taxes. And then you tell me I can't ride anywhere I want to on a bus or I got to get out my seat or be disrespected and not treated, uh, afforded uh, human rights as uh, as I'm funding this society in more ways than one. So... I'm just hoping I'm just waiting on that, Max. I don't really have a, uh, anything on the specifics of that story, but hey, like you and Tribal said to me the other day, this is a movement
1: now. Yeah, it's it's inevitable. It, it, well, I was mentioning to the organizers that this is not only expected but was predicted. Frederick Douglass told us this would happen, and it always happens. Freedom happens. You can't just keep doing this to people and think that they're going to be okay with it. Eventually, they're going to reach their breaking point. And we have not only reached our breaking point, but we've also found the key issue holding all of this together, whether it be the institutional racism within our courts, whether it be the overpopulation of police who are really just – now a racketeering organization that is exploiting minority and poverty areas, uh, whether it be the uh, prosecutorial pools who are just manufacturers in an assembly line of bodies, <laughs> sending them in and out unconstitutionally, this touches all of that all of it one way or another this is the seed that was planted in 1865 for the resurgence and the transformation of chattel slavery from convict leasing up to chain gangs to unicorn to mass incarceration well it looks like we're up next break we're going to take a quick uh, moment to, from our sponsors and we'll be right back here on new abolitionist radio after these messages
0: Media Project launched the digital radio platform, Black Talk Radio Network, the first such platform created to serve the black community specifically. Black Talk Radio Network has grown with a variety of radio hosts, digital radio stations, and podcasters. Web analytics say Black Talk Radio, the platform, has an online reach that ranks it among the top independent black media platforms in the world. All of this is possible because of financial contributions to the nonprofit Black Talk Media Project. If you love the work we do and the voices and perspectives we bring to you every day. Make a donation today to ensure that Black Talk Radio is here in the future. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium.
1: Welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio I believe I have to make a correction I read the article in regards to the people Working from the prison for one dollar a day It is in Portland But I believe it's in Maine And not in Oregon It's important. <laughs> there you have it uh, Scotty Reed, there's two things that I, I was hoping To just squeeze in, but I don't know if I can I'll ask for your advice on here One, I want to talk about the SPLC Just a little bit briefly And what I've noticed that there be been doing and what my sister the has uncovered in some of their uh reporting. It seems like they're race baiting much like the uh N NAS- R A was doing. Uh and I'm saying race baiting from a black perspective perspective, which is demonizing black organizations and people yeah. and putting them on par with uh global terrorists and national terrorists well, who blow up was, buildings well, and stuff.
0: I agree with you that some of these groups are not historically known To be linked to terrorism, on and you try. I mean, really, you can't say terrorism, they ain't going out there. They don't have a history of lynching nobody, they don't have a a history of of shooting people a hundred and something times, they don't have a history of taking body parts for souvenirs. And so, you know, come on, uh, really, it's just man, so
1: yeah and they're putting out articles like return of the violent black nationalists so it's just a regurgitation I, like, what are they of talking that? about
0: return what it's the regurgitation of, of of birth of a nation it's a new yeah. nation now Donald Trump's in town or didn't you know he up there in the over office didn't you know so that's what that's about that's birth of a nation All right, hey, <laughs> don't be surprised you know how Barack Obama used to watch movies up in there don't be surprised if Donald Trump have a historic cinema, cinema night and playing a uh, Birth of a Nation, which is in the United States um, historical archives. That's not the exact name. What Liberia Congress? It was saved for its cultural importance and, and film in film in in that industry. But don't be surprised if Donald Trump have a screening party up there for Birth of a Nation, cause he's certainly been you know, um, down with that rhetoric thus far.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's possible. Well, you know, this, this review that came out of the SPLC about black, black nationalism, uh, and then a video I watched with them really breaking it down, explaining to me what it is that they're doing. It's a lot of dog whistle politics right here, and fear mongering is really what it is they're com- saying that a hate crime, even a verbal hate crime is still a crime. It's a real crime. And by using that false association, they are allowed to portray these organizations which do not have a violent history as uh racist criminals and they're more concerned about what they're saying, the fears from what they're saying, uh things like Jews are descendants of Satan And that all white people need to be eradicated I mean, very, very powerful things like that But they're not doing that They're not blowing up buildings They're not out shooting up schools They're not out here in theaters Just firing randomly on people You don't see them run up in the post office Talking about they're going postal That's not what's happening with them There's other people doing that but using this type of false association, the SPLC is equating these black nationalist movements with these real terrorists. And uh, just a quick quote from the article that I'll put on New Abolitionist Radio says, According to counter-terrorism experts and scholars, black nationalism rose in reaction to white racism during America's civil rights era. It c- encompasses hatred towards whites, homosexuals, and Jews. Black nationalists have also advocated for a separate a- territory for African-Americans within the country, similar to white nationalists who argue for a white homeland in the Pacific Northwest. According to their propaganda, black nationalists would like a portion of the Southeast United States reserved for a black nation. Further, they are known for their anti-government and anti-police sentiments due to their long-held views on government corruption and police brutality. Like most extremist movements, see the dog whistle right there? Listen to what I just read Didn't show anything about extreme But they said Like most extremist movements In the United States Black nationalist worldview Is shaped by conspiracy theories I guess they're talking about us Scotty Because I do approve of the uh, uh, Move to just have people Start moving towards the south And trying to rebuild themselves There in one area Where they're all closer together I I don't see any problem with that I don't see that as violent You're getting up and moving Like anybody else could do
0: Look They got their list. I got my list too. We all got our list. So just cause they got their list, that don't that don't you know what I'm saying? It's it's harmful propaganda. But what I'm saying though, let me make this clear. I don't engage in name calling and pettiness and shock jocking and all that type of stuff. I don't I don't believe all white people. I don't believe white people are devils made up in the lab or anything of that sort. I don't think all white people are evil. I don't call them beast or some kind of derogatory term. I don't engage in that, man. And so, I can understand somebody being concerned. They would be on my list if if it's a... Yeah. You know, I could see some people getting concerned about that and be like, hey, they saying that Jews need to be exterminated. Didn't Hitler say that? You know what I'm saying? So, Yeah, I can't get behind nothing like that. And if they kick you off of YouTube, then, you know, I'm not going to spend any energy uh, or emotion over them kicking you off when you're violating their rules. It's their platform. They uh, have the rules. But just in general, I'm not down with that. I believe in free speech, too. But I also wrote a piece, and this uh, person, this African person actually shared One of my old Facebook posts, man, about Tim Wise and and what have you and how I do, I I have the preemptive strike doctrine that George Bush and them talked about. Uh, I'm not going to wait for you to hit me if I know you mean to do me harm and if you say nigger to me, if you're a white person calling me a nigger, that's like you've already started the nuclear launch code, so I'm looking at you as a threat, so... If you come to me within, you know, punching range, uh, I'm punching you out first. You know what I'm saying? I'm putting you on the ground first. And uh, then I'm going to, uh, you know, get away from uh, the uh, area. So, but, yeah, man, I can understand why somebody take offense to that. But in terms of the, the trickiness of the language they're using oh, are we extremists? Is the new abolitionist uh, movement extremists because we uh, talk about government? I mean, you could say that about anybody. Look at CNN, look at Fox News, look at all of this propaganda network uh, stuff that you could say about the same thing about them. Listen to these extremists, you know? So, you know, again, they're engaging in name-calling, and I went after Tim Wise. I didn't take that line down when he tried to, uh, you know, play me like that because of something he heard on context of white supremacy. But he ain't call out the owner of the context of white supremacy. He called out Scotty Reed by name and slandered me and said that um, I said that he said it was okay to call black people niggers and and so I looked up the case law and no, it's not okay. And people have been charged under various laws for that act of terrorism. That's an act of terrorism. Even historically, that's an act of terrorism. So, again, when it comes to my personal safety, my family's safety, if I'm out, like, at a gas station because I'm traveling and you calling me nigger, you know what I'm saying, I'm already then loosened you know the uh, fastener on, on whatever piece I'm carrying So I'm, I'm making sure That it's easy access And I'm watching you Till we get safely away But if you make some moves I'm uh, like hey what do they say I'm being fearful for my life But it ain't going to be no joke though It's not going to be an excuse It's not going to be a coverage it's Because it's based on 400 plus years Of history towards
1: melanated people yeah, I don't agree with those views and mindsets either, but I can understand uh, the frustration and the way they feel. I can understand that. They're not wrong. And I mean, the from their perspective, states, you, they're looking at slavery going on for 500 years. Oppression yeah. after oppression after oppression
0: by the very same people. And the father of black so, nationalism, if anybody wants to talk about black nationalism, don't use their narrow perspective. Go to... Um, Martin Delaney. I wrote an article about him. He's the father of Black nationalism on the, of this continent, who was whose mother was African royalty. I believe she was of of the Ashanti tribe, and they got captured, sold over here. She was um, her and her children. Martin being one of them. I think he was like seven. Uh, she went to court, fought for her freedom based on I'm African royalty. You know this lineage and all that man she wanted her freedom and so he went to harvard he was one of the first doctors at harvard he ended up being a, a commission officer in might have been a non-commissioned officer but uh, in the um civil war fighting in slavery and then after the end he worked for like the freedmen's bureau you know worked in government lived in the south ran for office and all that And tried to live the American dream. But because of all this terrorism that was going on, he was like, these white people ain't never going to accept us. And so I'm out of here. I'm going to Africa. Anybody want to go, they can go with me. And he established a colony in Africa. He ain't the first to do it. So, you know, um, just a lot of history to unpack there and when they just blanket label you oh black nationalist word association with terrorism or black nationalism with extremism and uh, they talk about all these police shootings and what have you well shouldn't you be talking about them too aren't you filing lawsuits on elements of slavery so I mean that don't make you an extremist I, I mean if if being an abolitionist and wanting to bring about an end of slavery and all the conditions that are created, the tragic consequences that come out of that, then just call me an extremist then. Yeah, I'm a stream because I want liberty, justice, and freedom for all.
1: We'll leave it at that. The thing that bothers me the most is that this has come from the SPLC, which also leads the way in a lot of these racketeering charges against the very system that we're fighting. It seems like uh, and this is, uh, I believe, to be true, that regardless of the altruism of the institution, most of them all have some form of white racist supremacists that are working within those, those organizations. Uh, they may not appear outwardly to be that way, but they hold these doctrines. One example was pointed out by Sister Leila Aziz, where she did some research on the person who actually produced this list of violent black nationalists who are returning from where, I don't know. But she said the person who wrote the article was in the Department of Homeland Security. He wrote a paper which leaked on the right-wing Nazis and got a political got political flack because co- conservatives said it was saying the right were all terrorists. So the government allowed these white extremists to build up crazy momentum since 2011. Now he writes for the Southern Poverty Law Center against black organizations instead of dismantling the integrated all alt-white propaganda that Trump's base relies on. So, you know, there really is no screening prop- process for people who are racist. I don't know about any that is being used properly or that's worth a damn. So, these They're organizations called empathy are empathy tests. They're
0: called empathy tests. The tests do exist. They're psychological uh battery tests, and yeah they it's, they can weed them out they can keep them off them juries man they look Early. man yeah they can keep them off these juries all they got to do is give them these uh, questionnaires and they won't probably 100% be able to rule them all out but the ones that yeah they could get a lot of them out so uh, let's uh, yeah that tool exists but uh yeah max well, we kind of running out of time here did you want to jump to the regular segments but Otis was trying to chime in earlier, man, and he said he was having an issue with the mute button. Otis, did you want to try now to share anything about what we discussed or any of the uh, things that you're observing out there in in modern slavery and human trafficking?
3: Oh, I I don't want to take up all your time. I was going to uh, just interject when the young lady was talking earlier. Uh, When we talk about slavery, you and I and Max already know It's a multifaceted thing. It's got a lot of tentacles. And I was going to say to her, because I could hear the emotion in her voice, one of the ways she can work to stifle some of the the input to slavery is start working locally with a PTA. People don't understand. this. no child left behind, and all of that was part of criminalizing young black youth by putting police officers in a school to write dossiers on them at a very young age, usually starting in fifth or sixth grade, that's a Bill Clinton thing. So I'm saying, uh, when we look at now on the 19th, bringing this thing of abolishing the 13th exception clause to the forefront, we got to start looking at dismantling the other things, just like Max was hitting on transporting prisoners. I, I saw cases where, uh, up in 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 uh, Seattle, the the sheriff actually was using the uh, statutes for for uh, for asset forfeiture, he actually deputized his own service to go out and lock up people so that the county budgets would grow. We got to stop this from all ways. slavery has touched a whole bunch of this country over prosecution for uh, overzealous prosecution we can politically take the power away from these prosecutors it's it's got to stop because if we just stop the thirteenth you also got to stop the process that was feeding it. So, so as we as we hit on the 19th, I'm hoping that y'all get to touch on a whole lot of things. Like I just said, even uh, down in Louisiana, just saw a case where a black judge was feeding the the pro, probation department when the people come out with monitors, five hundred and fifty some dollars to get out of jail that they can't afford to pay the the monitor company. Then the jail was in cahoots with the judge to keep them in jail until a family or someone paid at least half the money. I mean, the, the tentacles of slavery is all through this system, and we have to tell wake people up by showing them. It's not just the people that are locked in. It's the people that are getting out and still remaining under the tyranny of slavery.
1: Collateral consequences, as Brother Christopher Irvin often speaks Oh, It's, de-
3: it's, it's designed to be an integral part of the system. It's all monetized. I yeah, I mean, I mean you say i I used to think it was collateral damage unintended no it's 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 the laws have been changed to allow it to occur, and that's all government i mean the government our government is so entrenched in slavery till so you just can't stop it by just the thirteenth no, I know that's the powerful tool that they use for it, but once we break that down, we have to break down the other vestiges of it that they want to use claim. It they get the vestiges of it is the tentacles they've used throughout the system to, to get untrained yeah, prison um, guards no no, no kind of regulation now, of these people
0: now Otis I am um, i don't want to speak these words and I don't want them to come to pass but just like how they're trying to outlaw the BDS movement and we reported and had some students on over the years the, the uh, defund slavery movement Um, divestment yeah Um, you know these college students uh, California they got California system off one of the uh, education systems off it was worth what billions of dollars in investment over a billion so um, yeah in addition to out see when you outlaw see that's the supreme law of the land slavery was always based in law you know how Europeans operate they write everything down they write the rules of course, there is a lot of corruption and br- people break rules and can be bought off and paid off and what have you. But they write everything down. So, But if you outlaw slavery, then you can go to court and prove that these different tentacles that you're attacking is rooted in slavery and slavery's been outlawed and, and so... You know, um, that's the part of the 13th That tells you the mechanism is criminal justice
3: Because I've talked to so many people And listened to y'all We have to make people understand How it's actually touching their lives today Most people don't think it's touching them Until they get locked up Like the young lady that was on earlier You know, they don't think that slavery is touching them Until a loved one gets locked up The truth is, it's touching you in a whole lot of ways That you don't even realize You know It's touching
0: your pocketbook right now, your bank account. You're paying taxes on it. I'm paying taxes on it. I don't want to pay taxes on
1: it.
0: So this got to come
1: to an end. Congressional hearings of discovery is so important. So we can see all of these connections. All right. Uh, Was there anything else on that, guys? Or uh, I'll. Because I was just going to read a shortened version of the next two segments, a very shortened version.
0: Um, no, Max, that's all I had. And uh, Otis, all right. good. Otis? Otis, good.
3: I muted myself so you could go on.
1: <laughs> all right, brother Otis. I'm going to read a very short version of the next two segments. It'll start with our writer of the 21st Century Underground. Today, that is Ray Hinton. You can find his story on New Abolitionist Radio. He was exonerated and released from death row just two years ago. But right now, Alabama lawmakers have not only refused to compensate him for the three decades he spent on death row for a crime he did not commit, but they're also passed they also passed legislation changing the appeals process in death penalty cases. So innocent people like Mister Hinton now face an even greater risk of being executed. When we here at New Abolitionist Radio salute you, brother. Anthony Ray Hinton and uh, we say glad you're free and we hope that this case is resolved and you receive justice further for our next segment which is for freedom's sake a history of rebellion we are going to remember the Creole case of 1841 which is also available on Facebook and also at the Black Talk Radio community uh, in its entirety the Creole case of 1841 was a result of an African slave revolt in november eighteen forty one on board the Creole, a ship involved in the United States coastwise slave trade. As a consequence of the revolt, one hundred and twenty eight enslaved people won their freedom in the Bahamas, then a British possession. Because of the number of people eventually freed, the Creole Mutiny was the most successful revolt slave revolt in US history. And we here at New Abolitionist Radio remember the Creole Revolt of eighteen forty one. Um, our last segment which was usually our first but I want to say your last because I know Scotty's going to want to say something just as well as I do our abolitionist in profile for the first time here on New Abolitionist Radio will be you like Otis for instance and like my sister Malika for instance, the listener, the activist who nobody's really saying much about and your name isn't out there everywhere but you're working just as hard as me like Michael Williams, like Jeanette Smith <coughs> like Jessica Patrice Dorsey like uh, the names is on and on and on out there, and Don't we want to recognize thing. you. And,
0: and you got to mention those who can't be in Washington D.C. but have donated to make sure that myself and Max is there, and right. we
1: have a PA system. Right, what we're doing and what's being done in this movement that is uh, forming itself, pretty much, is because of you. Uh, you have seen the truth and you're doing all the hard work to make this thing happen. So we salute you here at New Abolitionist Radio. You, the unsung abolitionist. Salute. salute. All right, Scotty, that closes up for us and we're only a minute away from the end of the program. We managed to fit it in. I'd like to say thank you to Sister Malika G for coming in and sharing her thoughts as bravely as she did.
0: Yes, and stay strong, sister. You you are strong and because you said I need to tell this story. And, you know, for four reasons, probably they were looking at it in your best interest. Let's not, you know, go on here and, and talk too much because we litigating something. So I can understand that, but you still had to be on the program. So, you know, that was courage. I could feel your passion on this. And thank you um, for becoming a new abolitionist so that we can prevent this from happening to families like yours in the future. Those are my final thoughts.
1: Okay, Scotty. Uh, Again, thank you, Malika, for sharing your uh, time and, and words with us and giving us the opportunity to try to help you in some way. We are your friends, your family here. We're at your disposal anytime you need us. I'd like to give a shout out to my sister Erica Walker out in New Jersey who uh, recently took my words in a poem called They Say and brought them into reality in a very powerful fashion, which you can see on New Abolitionist Radio as well. And I will close with these words, which mean more and more every day. You have to remember that abolition is a reason for a revolution, so we can finally know. Peace. Peace. <laughs>